Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Business of Agriculture podcast. It's me, Damian Mason, with a great show for you today. We're talking about wind, wind energy, wind mills. We're talking about wind mills and wind energy and wind lease, windmill leases in the country. And we're going to be talking to Dennis Haugen, who's a friend of the show. He's been on the show previously. But before we get to that, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by my friends with Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit is a software solution for your agricultural enterprise. If you have a farm, if you have an ag business and you're like, man, I got to I gotta be better at managing all this capital, all these ins and outs, all the money, the flow to be more profitable, go to harvestprofit.com. It's a Fargo-based company, but it doesn't matter where Harvest Profit is. They can serve you wherever you are. In fact, they serve customers in 20-some-odd states and four provinces, harvestprofit.com. This episode is also not just an audio, but a video reminder that you can go to YouTube and type in Damian Mason channel and find the playlist for the business of agriculture, where all of this year's episodes are. And you can see the video, share it around with your non-ag friends or anybody you know that could benefit from listening to information on this subject. All right, Dennis Haugen, you've been on this episode, this show before. Go ahead and say hello to everybody, Dennis. Well, nice to be back in... Sitting in your uh, studio again, Damien. It's uh, it's always a pleasure. All right. He's been on twice before. Once we talked about his business, the grain salvage business. Uh, another time we talked about uh, the impact of the weather. Dennis, for those of you who do not know, is a farmer and an entrepreneur. So uh, I'm not going to brag you up, but you um, can tell me about yourself first. So you farm 5,000 acres up there in North Dakota. You have a grain elevator. You have a uh, proprietary radish uh, seed company for cover crop to break up compaction, and you also have a grain salvage business. Did I miss anything? Uh, we got a few other irons in the fire too, but uh, <laughs> we can. Well, let's talk about wind today. That's what I stopped by to talk about. All right. So he's a North Dakota ag guy, and he's also a big fan of wind. And he's got his notes right there that just fell off his lap because he wants to share data with you about wind. And I'll tell you how this came up. All right, I'm driving across North America on my way from my Indiana farm to my place in Arizona. And I take a picture in the panhandle of Texas or Oklahoma where there are thousands of windmills. And I pointed out that uh, they are being propped up by taxpayer subsidies. And it's an issue that I have had a number of people ask me, hey, can you do something about this on the Business of Ag podcast? Because Every windmill is located in rural America. They don't put them on top of the you know skyscrapers in, in downtown Chicago. They put them out here in rural America. So they're always in our face. And also, they tend to be uh, a good investment, or sorry, a, a good return for your investment if you get one on your property. But there's environmental arguments against them. There are uh, aesthetic arguments against them. And then there's the whole thing about, is this the green lobby that's pushed this or real energy policy, which is good for America? I've been somewhat critical. I put that on social media, dear listener, and imagine that. The people come out of the woodwork either saying, I agree with you, or they say, you don't know what you're talking about. And one of those people was Dennis Haugen, my buddy from North Dakota, says, let me just give you a little perspective on wind. So that's why we're here. Talk to me about wind energy. Okay. Well, start out, Damien. I'm about 
I'm about all kinds of energy. I'm not, just because I'm pro-wind, it doesn't mean I'm against coal. It doesn't mean I'm against oil, natural gas, or anything else. As far as I'm concerned, we need them all. That's energy exported out of North Dakota, which is revenue for our state. Yeah. So North Dakota is a, one of my first gigs I ever did up there was in Bismarck for the Lignite Energy Council. And that was the trade association for soft coal, right? Correct. And anthracite being the other type of coal. Correct. So North Dakota is a big coal producing state. North Dakota also has the Bakken, which was the area where fracking and uh, shale oil reserves were discovered about, what, 10 years ago, made a whole bunch of people millionaires. And here you are saying, wait a minute, what about wind? I don't know. The coal and the oil people probably uh, don't care too much about wind. So go back to energy in North Dakota. Well, okay. So the first thing with lignite coal, it's, or, you know, our lignite coal, well, that's, that's the kind of coal we have. It's, it's very high in moisture. So you can't afford to freight it very far. That's why we have our, our coal generating stations in North Dakota and all, all the, uh, all the uh, energy gets, gets made up there and it gets exported by a power line. Um, <clears throat> the, so you're uh, saying moving the coal isn't the isn't the best way to utilize it. It's best to just get it out of the ground, get the BTUs out of it, and then put it on a power line and send the energy that way. Because because our lignite coal is very high in water content. So when you freight coal, when you freight lignite, you're hauling water. Yeah, that don't pay very good. Right. So 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 anyway, so we've got you know we've got the coal, we've got the Bakken, you know, and. North Dakota is actually one of the windiest states in the U.S., and so let's let's develop some wind. You know, um, you know, we're ten years into our the wind farm that's part of our property. Uh, you know, very happy with how things have turned out. I don't I don't have any qualms with with uh, having them on my property. They're good neighbors. Uh, uh, we were able to use their access roads to access our farm fields. Uh, it's been all good. I'm I've been really happy with it. Okay, so you're from North Dakota. You see all this natural uh, oil, sorry, fossil fuel business, and then somebody comes along a decade ago and says, yep, we're going to go ahead and get rid of that whole industry with wind. And so you said, I'll be a turncoat. I'll go against what my state does. How did that go when they first came and said, we're going to develop wind? You know, our neighborhood was pretty excited about it. I mean, it was... uh, you know, we had a few naysayers, but you know, you're going to have that with everything. You got people that are against everything. It doesn't matter what it is, you know. And but at the end of the day, you know, we we got our wind farm up and going, and 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 we've been very happy with it. Okay, so just as a matter of principle, let's talk about because there's folks that are probably hearing this and they say, "All right, I've been approached, or I know my neighbors were approached." How's the? We'll get to the economics of wind, et cetera. But let's talk about as it relates to you as a landowner. How did it happen? Well, it was a rural economic development company, a corporation that first really got the kind of got the ball rolling. We we heard about you know interest in wind and and where our property lies is a, is a is a geographic formation in eastern North Dakota called the Pemina Escarpment, and it's one of the breeziest, continuous, average, steady winds. In you know, as far as locations in the U.S., so it's it was a perfect place for a wind farm. Uh huh. So rural economic development local said, let's spearhead this and see if we can get some windmills in here. Or were they approached by a wind development company that then said, let's see if we can? We started it out as so you sought local. it out. Yeah, you sought out. You sought yeah. out a wind company. Yep. The wind development company then came in from where? Uh, Next Era 
is uh, um, who uh, operates our wind farm now. Originally, I want to say, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm pretty sure at the beginning was Florida Power and Light. Okay. And then they just go around and develop, just like they would develop a coal-fired power plant or a natural gas-powered plant or a hydro uh, power plant, whatever. They just are in the business of developing power generation. They are. And you got to remember, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that go along with the wind farm. Once you generate the power, you have to get it to the grid. Mm-hmm. So that's a transmission line. And that's big bucks these days too. So, you know, it's always, you know, when they're looking at siting wind farms and stuff like that, they look at the transmission capabilities in the, in that area. All right. So your economic development people teamed up and found this uh, developer and said, yeah, we're looking for a place to put in wind. We thought uh, it made sense. So then what happened from there? Well, um, it was basically our local development company packaged up. We had the acres, the landowner signed up, all that stuff done so they had access to property. Well, that's what the first thing they got to have. First thing they got to have is access to property where they yep. can stick these windmills yep. in. And so was there a list? That was, it, was it recruitment or was it people lining up to take the lease? Well, you know, actually I've, we've looked at expanding that wind farm and uh, – so I went out, or I got on the phone one day, a year and a half ago, and in two hours, I had 25,000 acres of neighbors signed up, ready to have a wind tower. So you took it on yourself because you think this is good, or were you being commissioned to do this? No, because I think it was good. You think it's good for rural North Dakota? Well, you know what? We've had some pretty tough years in eastern North Dakota here the last three years it's not been very much fun we've been flooded out and all this stuff and i'll tell you what that wind tower truck comes in pretty handy well we'll, we'll get to the economic benefit here in a minute so the reason you did it is not because that they are sliding you money uh to do this you just thought it was a good thing so you said you had no problem finding people it's not really it is acres is there a moratorium or is there a rule on how many windmills you can put per acre per acre per section per um mile? You know, I'm not into the nuts and bolts of that, but I do know, you know, there's setbacks of like a quarter mile from away from farmsteads or a half mile. I don't, it, each county, each area's yeah, got right. different setbacks. Right. So setbacks away from homesteads, et cetera, et cetera. So, okay, you got, uh, you got the deal going. And then who negotiated the leases? How did that work? Um, we had our local development group which actually i wasn't even a part of you know i was i was busy with my other stuff that was that was uh that was their doings i was just lucky enough to be a landowner in the footprint and uh you know signed up and said yeah i want i want a tower on my property okay and they gave you one i was lucky enough to get one now you have more property you could have put uh, two three seven ten i would be happy with a dozen Uh, okay uh you signed a lease tell me about the lease um, I believe it's 25 years and, uh, our payments run around, I think it's around $7,500 right. annually for that parcel of, of land that the, that the tower sits on. Okay. 7,500 bucks. And it takes up about a half acre, quarter acre. I figure a quarter acre with the access road. Okay, so they're not using much of your space, and then they need to get from a main road to use. So they have a little driveway, and then they have the windmill, and that's about it. Uh, you and I both know that uh, that's way more than you can get cash rent for a quarter of an acre in North Dakota. That's so, way more than you can gross on a 
acre farming it yourself even. Uh, yeah. yeah, 10 acres probably. Yeah. Uh, so why wouldn't everybody do this? Well, you know, it's development, location, location, location. And, you know, like I said, we're on the the Pemina Escarpment, so, you know, the tower company came in, or the, the wind wind farm, the energy companies, and they, they do all the siting, so we don't get to see any part of that. We don't know. They have a protocol for siting, and I have no idea how that all works. But, you know, they kind of seem like they're kind of spaced evenly, and they go on for miles on this ridge. Got it. Uh, all right, so... You've overcome the idea that there's people that think that, that you shouldn't do these. There's all that kind of stuff. Uh, the arguments against them. We're going to go through the arguments against them first off. Uh, first off, they're a monstrosity. Look at them out there. My God, they're 300 feet tall. Uh, they don't fit into the landscape. How do you respond? You know, actually, I could sit and watch them all day. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 You know, it's kind of like some people get their blood pressure down by watching fish swimming in a fish tank. I, I could sit and watch them windmills all day, and it's I never get tired of watching them. Uh, first off, I, I get it. You know, you learn when you're a communicator such as me that you can always see both sides of the argument. In other words, when I put out my pro-ag stuff, I know what the anti-ag uh, detraction is going to be. Right. Um, and I would say, okay, um, that grain terminal over there along that railroad spur is also not a natural part of the landscape, but it sure as hell has been good for North Dakota economics, rural rural America economics for the last hundred years, so that, A, we had places to take our grain, and we had a way to get rid of our grain, and we had a place that hired the local guys that weren't the farmers to work there, bagging the grain, et cetera, et cetera. So there's that component of it. The recyclability. Um, one argument that I have made is, okay, we talk about this is all good for the environment. Well, there's a whole lot of natural resources being used to make that stuff. Uh, we're taking fossil fuels to create plastic to make fiberglass blades. We're transporting them all over God's green earth on semis that are about as long as a train because those blades are three semi-trailers long. Uh, is the environmental reason... Uh, is the environmental reason really why you should get behind wind? Because I don't think that's your thing. You think it's about energy and economics, not environment. You know, let's talk about wind tower blades for a little bit. We had on our tower, we had our first blade failure last year. Okay. And that's, this is after 10 years. Okay. First blade failure. So they come out, they took the old one down, put the new one up. And then the old one laid there for a while until... Till they cut it up and hauled it away. But anyway, so that was on my property, so I got to go investigate and see what these things are made out of. They're made out of fiberglass and OSB plywood. Well, what's not recyclable about that stuff? It is recyclable, but the media who are against wind, they naysay and they're, oh, they're filling up landfills and they're not recyclable, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not true. So they are recyclable. Do they get recycled? It's a pretty cumbersome thing. It's not like taking a pop can down to the local right. uh, uh, JCs where they have a fundraiser uh, picking up aluminum cans. Right. But this is something that's going to grab your attention is now recycling wind tower blades has started a new cottage industry. Mm -hmm. And so they come and they cut them up in small pieces and haul them off so they don't have the great big trucks that are sure. three uh, half so mile long to haul these off. haul them in regular semi-trucks yeah, or something. No, no. And so so there's new industries now that are, are getting into the recycle business. They're saying now that a plant, one of those wind blade recycle plants can do between six and 7,000 blades a year. Hmm. 
We're going to talk about the economics and the energy development after we take this teeny little break to remind you that this episode of the Business of Agriculture podcast is sponsored by my friends at Harvest Profit. Again, they're a North Dakota-based company. And who doesn't like North Dakotans? Like this guy. <laughs> Silly enough to be out riding around a motorcycle when it's only 63 degrees. It's not really – I mean, it's not even hot. And then uh, uh, the good people at Harvest Profit, you know, they set out to create a profit – I'm sorry, a, a, a pro- product that would make your agricultural enterprise more profitable. So that's the the gist of it. Nick Horb said, hey, I can do a better job. So he invented Harvest Profit. You can experiment with their product yourself by going to harvestprofit.com. You'll get 14 days free, and you can use a software solution that will work as hard as for your farm as you work for your farm. Also, I'd like to remind all you listeners right now, it's wintertime. You know, you've got the cold and flu season. You've got the coronavirus. Is this a good time to be shortchanging your immune system? Of course it's not. Don't give yourself energy drinks. Don't give your kids fruit, all that sugary crap. Give them milk. My good friends at the Georgia Agricultural Commodity Commission for Milk would remind you that there are nine essential nutrients in every gulp of milk. You know what? It's also got more protein in an eight-ounce glass of, pro, in a, of milk than eating an egg. So you get the protein, you get the nutrients, and you get vitamin A and vitamin D, which will help keep your immune system healthy. All right, Dennis Haugen, my buddy, uh, we thought we were going to come to fisticuffs over this whole thing because I criticized wind energy. You told me wind energy is good, and I said, okay, from the economic development standpoint, let's talk about that. Um, how many people in your county, in, in Hannaford, North Dakota, how many people are in your county? Uh, 2,500. Okay. And I'm from a different part of the rural America. I'm from the old, you know, Rust Belt. There's 40,000 people in Huntington County, but I can tell you what there's not as many of. There's not as many factories. There's not as many blue collar jobs that actually uh, can make you, uh, uh, you know, uh, well off or at least middle class. But then there's also way less people out here in the hinterlands because we used to need a, a man and his wife to farm 160 acres. And now you can farm 1600 pretty much by yourself. So in rural America, we've got this lack of people and we still got to figure out a way to make a living. So I would say that the windmill's biggest argument is that you're bringing money in that keeps money in rural America. Am I right? Well, you know, a 250 megawatt wind farm, which is, you know, kind of average size. That's about what our size is. You know, for that area, over the 20-year, five-year lifespan, it's going to pump $12 million of taxes into the school system, plus your taxes for road, another $4 million for roads. Wait a minute. Now, give me this. Is that one windmill or is that? That's that's the farm. Okay. So, that's how many windmills? Uh, it's 120. Okay. 120 windmills, uh, you know, are or what your your windmill is a part of. And you said out of them, they're going to put $12 million into the local schools over a course of? 25 years. Okay. That's that's good. That's helpful. Uh, and then they're also going to do? $4 million road taxes. Okay. And uh, uh, $28 million tax revenue. Okay. So very good for these rural communities that need a tax base. And then also you've got guys like you making money. So when you make money, you go down to the the truck dealer and you buy a new uh, pickup truck. You, you could go down to the hardware store and redo stuff around your shop. So there's that part of it. Uh, is economics the biggest uh, benefit? Well, you know, it's... It's a big deal, really. When you sit down and when it, when you sit down and look at all the numbers of, of of you know, and it 
it all depends on how much power you're generating. Now, when they first got going with our wind farm, you know, they were predicting X number of megawatts. Mm-hmm. Well, we blew the doors off of that the first year because we got there's just more wind than they expected out there. And, and they've so, not spent enough time in North Dakota because I could have told them it's windy when it's still. <laughs> And you know, it's kind of neat, you know, like we can have days where it's almost dead calm and the winds aloft are just enough to keep them things spinning. And it's, it's rare that I see them stopped. Mm -hmm. And when they're stopped, it's, you know, it's, depends on how much demand the grid is calling for. You know, that's the one thing about wind, you can turn them off and turn them off, turn it on or turn them off with the flick of a switch. You can't do that with a coal generating electricity plant you know they got to ramp up and ramp down so so you've got the coal-fired generators are doing their thing when we get more wind demand on windy days then the wind then the wind energy kicks in more and so so that that piece of the pie of of energy mix that's going on 24 7 i'll give you another thing that uh i'll give you the detraction and then uh maybe the response but you tell me uh my wife and I both have terrible headaches because those windmills uh, mess up our uh, our our, uh, our equilibrium. Have you heard that one? Well, I got one even better for you. There was there's some school, some place that's preaching that the wind towers give off bad enough vibes that it drives the earthworms three miles away from the wind towers. Okay, so that's a hell. First off. That would be one traveling pack of earthworms because I don't know if an earthworm, I don't know if you set an earthworm on uh, and gave it steroids and speed if it could actually get three miles in its lifetime. Well, you know, I've been a no-till guy for over 30 years, and that's that's the best environment there is for earthworms. And you can go out there and dig around the edges of the road going to our wind tower, right around the field, right around the tower, and there's all kinds of worms. Okay, so you've got the earthworms because you are a no-till guy. By the way, he made sure he slipped that in because, as you know, I talk a lot about soil is the most valuable resource that we have in agriculture, and someday we're going to look back at all this cultivation we do and, and think it's just like uh, using leeches for medical treatment. I, I'm convinced of it. All right, so it's not the earthworms. What about the equilibrium and the headaches the, and the dizziness? Is that just because these this man and woman are obsessed? I think that sometimes these people talk about their health problems. It's because they become obsessed over something, and then they, they can't get it out of their head. Yeah, that's a lot of that going on. <laughs> There's a lot of them that say, well, they can't sleep at night because the lights, red lights on the wind towers are blinking. Well, you know what? I've never known anybody that sleeps with their eyes open. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not, it's not like it's a searchlight. It's a it's a flashing light. Okay, so <clears throat> for me as a rural America person, I'd say the economic development is the biggest thing. And then you can also probably tout the energy independence, the energy independence, because I grew up in the energy crisis. Remember the 1970s? We were all going to die because we weren't going to have enough energy. Our schools were my elementary school. They kept it at 60 degrees all winter long and kept only one strip of fluorescence on because we were in the energy crisis. And we could only drive 55 miles an hour down the highway. Yeah, because in a state like North Dakota uh, where you could uh, drive 85, you could only go 55 because of the energy crisis. So they've they've enabled us to have more energy at uh, at our fingertips. So it's economic, it's energy independence. Am I missing anything? You know, I just... Uh, <clears throat> um, it's kind of interesting once I started to learn more about this, you know, and as time's gone on, I've got myself a little better educated on how the grid really works. And, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty complex system and it's pretty neat. You know, 
our energy, wind energy from North Dakota actually makes it over to Indiana and all the way down to New Orleans. Okay. That's the central, the mid-continent grid. Okay. And, you know, that's where that's where our energy gets exported to. Okay, answer this. Uh, how much percent of the entire mix in here in the United States of America comes from wind? Depends on how much the wind is blowing. Of course. <clears throat> Obviously. And, you know, so you've got wind towers located all over the U.S. now. So you've got certain days where it's contributing 14, almost high as 20%. And you get a calm days and you can be down to eight or nine. Yeah. So your data that you sent me said 7%. I assume that's a nice, that's an average over a course of a year based on the fact that you've got uh, wind, no wind, et cetera, et cetera. And it's okay. The fluctuation's okay. Um, I mean, I guess that's that's all right that we can have uh, – that's where coal comes in? Is that where natural gas comes in? To so, make yeah, and so that's, that's kind of a cool thing is – they predict the wind. I mean, this there's a lot of science to this. So they're predicting, they've got a chart on, on the MISO website where they're predicting wind one, two, three days out. How much the wind is going to blow where wind towers are located. And so then they, they can adjust the other energies to pick yeah, up the slack. To ramp up or back off. Yeah. Uh, all right. <clears throat> you are... So pro-wind, you're thinking about starting an organization to promote wind, to defend wind. Tell me about that. Well, we're looking at uh, just a landowner's group, and it's mainly going to be an information uh, portal to, you know, if people are approached by wind farms, they, they've got access to, you know, farmers who already have wind towers. You know, they, they, they can, you know, go to source for information. One of the things that you and I have talked about before is diversification of income. You know, uh, farming is a, a challenge, frankly. Commodity production generally uh, ends up being close to a break-even endeavor because commodity production you always produce until you're covering your variable costs. And we know that there are people that can be more efficient. There's those that can't be quite as efficient. So if you're wanting to be a farmer... I think you need to diversify your income. You looked at the wind tower first as income, right? I did. You thought it was income yep. for me, and yep. then you thought income for the county, and then you then you got into the environment or the the uh, the other part of it, right? Well, and where our towers are located, it's kind of rough country. We're right on the edge of the Cheyenne River, and you know it was a real blessing for us to get that wind tower road, so we got access to our fields that we never had before. You know, it was a struggle for us to get grain in and out of that in that. Out of that field, it was just rough location. Yeah, so you got a gravel road and uh, an income out of the deal. Yeah. And so, like everybody, it's the economics of you. Remember, economics is always about personal economics. You said, I can make money off of this. And then you said, well, other people can make money off of this. Are we going to see more windmills in the next five years? I think so. There's, uh, you know, there's – and it takes – a long time to get these developed. You know, there's a lot of legwork, a lot of planning, a lot of regulation, you know, regulation, time for the remonstration, <laughs> people public, bitching, yeah, <laughs> public hearings, PSC hearings, all that stuff. You know, all that stall them hoops got to be yeah. jumped through and I's dotted and T's crossed. So when you say, all right, looking at rural America, there's a, at least it is a financial uh, shot in the arm for the landowner. What about the person that then has to look out and see it? but doesn't get the wind tower. I kind of feel their gripe. I think that's probably where half the gripes come from. 
That is the the haves and the haves nots, and you know I and I don't have any power over where they get cited. You know, I mean we, you know, we've looked at you know, hoping that they will expand more to where we have other properties. Yeah, at. You, you'd like to get two or three more, or seven yeah, more, or ten more. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but you're not in charge of that. Some engineer with the wind development company right, is. Right. But just the, you know, the economic impact on the community is very noticeable. You know, and, and, you know, we're 10 years, like I said, we're 10 years indoors now. You know, we, we have some naysayers when it went up, but nobody's complaining anymore. Right. They've gotten used to it. Uh, I think we're going to see more of them. I don't know, you know, if they were to go on federal lands, let's, you know, I'm out here in my Arizona house right now. Obviously you came out here on your uh, motorcycle to visit. Uh, if you're talking about going and cutting a tree down, you know, on federal land, oh my God, every, the Sierra Society, uh, group and the Audubon Society and all these other organizations come out of the woodwork to lawsuit you. So that's why if they're going to be more wind developments, it's very likely it'll probably be on private property or they're going to have to go through all kinds of, uh, you know, hearings and whatnot to get it on federal land it'll all be on private property because it's easier to deal with yeah. dennis haugen than it is to go through the department of the interior and well, uh, the greenpeace and <laughs> we all know how government is and that's why they they focus on private property got it so um closing thoughts on wind energy because you came here to defend it and i had said i had some reservations about it uh, we didn't get into a fight. That's good. Uh, we, we've decided. I, I agree with you. I think under a Biden administration, the environmental lobby and, and dear listener, viewer, you know my thoughts on this. The environmental lobby is generally organizations that are profiting from this. They'll talk about their cause, but a lot of times their cause is also their pocketbook. Uh, you know, these the Environmental Working Group and every other organization that fashion themselves as environmentalists, their first obligation is keeping their staff employed and fundraising coming in. Exactly. And, okay, so let's talk about that. So who's against the, the – t- there's talk about, okay, the wind tower blades aren't recyclable. Who's all against that? The environmentalists. But – Aren't they the ones that wanted green energy in the first place? Yeah, right. So yeah. it's a bit of a – but remember, it's not ever about the actual facts nor the economics of it. It's only the economics of what they can then uh, use as propaganda to keep the fundraising coming in. Well, and that's where it ball boils down to them thing. people are against everything because that's what creates – Their revenue stream. Yeah. yeah. Being against yeah. being against things is their revenue stream, and the more that we in agriculture understand that, the better off we'll be. They they aren't necessarily against factory farms or animal production of scale. They just decided that's a cash cow for them. Well, 20 years ago, they were all about wind towers and green energy, and then now now they're complaining because the wind towers aren't recyclable or the right. blades aren't recyclable, blah, 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 blah. It's just, you know, those people will just never be happy. That's where they make their money. Yeah, it's not because it has nothing to do with their happiness. They they create a b- bunch of followers that are not happy, and then they become donors. It's uh, it's revenue stream. Okay, so um, I see more of this under political leadership that we have coming in, assuming the Biden presidency, Barack, uh, Kamala, Barack Kamala, as I uh, call uh, the situation. <laughs> um, I think we're going to have uh, a big push for this. The environmental groups will have more and more of a the ear, and they will then they'll be funding. You know. De Blasio, a uh, pretty hardcore left uh, 
guy that's the mayor of New York, you're going to see more of that style of politics is my perception based on the history of the new leadership that's coming in. And they are the ones that push for all this Green New Deal and all that. Well, part of the Green New Deal should be green energy. So are we going to three... Are we going to see money thrown at rural America sort of de facto by proxy, meaning that we're going to fund green, you know, windmills and then they go out to the country? Well, okay. So we got to remember that, you know, we've got days where the wind doesn't blow. So windmills aren't going to be 100% of the energy. That we have to, we have to, you know, we have to accept that. So we're still going to need coal. And coal's just got to, ha- and has really cleaned up its act in the last 20 years. Sure. You know, so they're, they're, you know, they're catching up. But, you know, as North Dakota is an energy producing state, I mean, it's a big deal for us to export energy. I think there's another one that we're going to have to cover here in another few years because two years ago I spoke at the Illinois Farm Managers and Rural Appraisers um, uh, Association and I sat on a, in a session about solar farms. So solar developments are coming and that's going to be uh, right on the heels of all the wind energy where you can lease your land if it's close to the grid and they have access to put solar panels out there. Do you have any thoughts on that? Okay. So, you know, I spend a little time in Australia. They're yes. a lot closer to the sun than we are yep. and they're kind of like arizona yep. you know that's where out in the desert that's where solar panels need to be because that land has no other value right you know we can't be putting solar panels up in the corn belt of the usa because they just don't generate enough power i don't know you know i don't know i'm not an expert on that but i don't know how many solar panels it would take to compare to a wind tower and the acreage that a wind tower sits on. Well, that's the thing. A solar farm covers the whole acreage, and then you've got a little bit of grass growing and whatnot, but you don't have uh, the crop growing. Whereas, like you said, a wind tower takes up a quarter of an acre, and they put a hell of a big footprint of concrete, but you can still farm not too far from it. So I'd see that the solar thing is probably, I agree with you, has better application not in the part of the world that I'm from or you're from. Well... You know, this time of the year in North Dakota, the sun don't come up till 8 o'clock in the morning, and it sets at 4.30 in the afternoon. And in my part of the world, northern Indiana, the sun goes away somewhere in early November, and you don't see it again until sometime in April or May. Right. And sporadic then. Closing thoughts on wind with Dennis Haugen, farmer, businessman, ag entrepreneur, and defender of the wind energy. Well, I think I think we've got a lot of opportunity yet for uh, more wind development in North Dakota. Uh, that's something I'm all for. Um, and I'm just hoping we can keep doing more development because it's just more revenue. It's more, you know, diversified revenue for agriculture, for farmers uh, uh, to have a, have a tower parked on their land. I agree with you, and that's the reason that it's going to happen. All right, until next time, he's Dennis Haugen. If you want to look him up, he follows me on Facebook. It's H-A-U-G-E-N. Dennis is his first name. His company, uh, your proprietary uh, uh, cover crop is Jack Hammer Radishes. Jack Hammer Radish, and our website, stop by our website. It's uh, generalgrain.com. Generalgrain.com. They can find everything and contact you from there. Generalgrain.com. Until next time, thanks, buddy. Hey. Good being here. Remind, reminding you to drink your milk and also check out harvestprofit.com if you need a software solution for your agricultural enterprise that will keep you in the year 2020 and beyond. Because you know what? 2021, are you still doing stuff with a pen and paper? Come on. Your enterprise deserves better <laughs> software solutions than that to manage your money. Damian Mason saying goodbye. Thanks for joining us here on the Business of Agriculture. 
If you've enjoyed this episode of the Business of Agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.